Welcome entrepreneurs and startups to Art of the Kickstart, the show that every entrepreneur needs to listen to before you launch. I'm your host, Roy Morjan, president and founder of Inventus Partners, the world's only turnkey product launch company. From product development and engineering to omni-channel marketing, we've helped our clients launch thousands of inventions and earn more than $1 billion in sales over the past 20 years. Each week, I interview a startup success story, an inspirational entrepreneur, or a business expert in order to help you take your launch to the next level. This show would not be possible without our main sponsor, Product Hype, the weekly newsletter that goes out and shows you the best inventions that just launched. Make sure to check out ProductHype.co and join the Hype Squad. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to another edition of Art of the Kickstart. Today, I am super excited because I am speaking with someone that I've also met in person at an event globally, worldwide, and got a chance to feel this product in my hands and see it. So today, I'm super excited to be speaking with Hans Augustenborg, co-founder of Canary. Andreas, his partner, wasn't able to join us, but these guys are childhood friends. They now run a business selling to customers worldwide after their massively successful campaign uh, with over 3,300 backers, uh, 472,000 U.S. dollars raised uh, for Canary. So without further ado, Hans, thank you so much for joining us today on Art of the Kickstart. It's an honor. And uh, yeah, nice to, to meet you again, Roy, uh, digitally. It was fun last time at the Web Summit in Lisbon. We, uh, yeah, hopefully we're going to see uh, each other there next time. Absolutely, this year. yeah. No, it was great meeting there and definitely great to see your team and see the success that you guys have had now month after month of bringing this product to market and now selling direct to consumers. And we'll definitely dive into all of that. But for our audience's sake, Hans, as if they haven't heard it before, give your elevator pitch for the product. All right. Let, the, let me try this. It's, it's been a while since we've been pitching uh, for investors. Uh, we closed one, so uh, it's good to, uh, to practice it again. But uh, yeah. This uh, is our product uh, for the podcast listeners. I'm going to try to explain it uh, visually as possible. Our product is an indoor air quality monitor that looks like a canary bird. And uh, just like back in the days when uh, mine workers were using real canary birds to detect toxic air in the coal mines, our bird will actually die when the air quality turns bad inside of your home. So what it will do is that the SU2 sensor will detect the air quality. And if it's bad, it will, through a motor, make uh, the bird drop dead. <laughs> uh, and then all you have to do is to uh, open a window and uh, ventilate your home until there is a, it has a good quality again. And then the bird will automatically pop back up. Simple as that. I'm going to close it, uh, close my window again because uh, I have good air quality in here. And uh, also, it's super cold in, the, in Denmark in the, the middle of April. <laughs> I was going to ask, yeah, what's the, uh, the air quality or the uh, air temperature right now out there to keep that open also? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, see, now it drops dead. This is how it works. It's, uh, it do, does a demo run uh, when you plug it on. So... Um, Maybe it will change now because it's going to make a detection in five seconds. Oh, Maybe. it's actually bad because uh, I'm uh, sitting here talking with you and polluting a lot of CO2 out of my mouth. <laughs> Making you pollute your home. This is not good. 
Well, listen, I think it's really amazing, the technology and obviously what you've built. And I think, you know, during COVID, right, all of us were working from home, still working from home, and just had no idea how bad air quality can be, let alone in an office environment, even there. But there you, you know, have more flow, right? You have a front door that's kind of open and closing. There's air coming in the house. Usually, most of us, especially during the winters, aren't opening our doors or even aware visually of such things are happening inside of our house. And then we're getting sick. We're having all these other health issues from it. So the innovation absolutely solves a problem. Jump back in time to when you and your childhood best friend kind of came up with this idea and how that evolved into what it is now. Yeah, so, so uh, yeah, me and Andreas, we, we grew up together and we always had fun with just like, yeah, going on with ideas with each other and see if we can innovate something that hasn't already been done. And one issue that I was pretty aware of was the indoor air quality problem because my dad, he somehow, he was just super focused on it. My dad is an architect and He's also kind of engineer, like technical guy. And he just knew that it was a big problem. So I was kind of raised with like, hey, open the window and the doors every t- every morning, every evening. But I, as, a, as a child, I didn't really understand the importance of it. And I think the main reason was because this problem is invisible. Like you can't see air quality. It's invisible. But it's still a huge problem because we spend 90% of our lives indoors, which leads to increased allergies and asthma, bad sleep, uh, even sleep disorders, uh, sometimes even lung cancer. And it's such a crazy problem that just in Denmark, uh, the, the health organization recommends every day to ventilate their homes two to three times a day. And they do that because it is a serious problem. And I, I got pretty... Uh, I think it was interesting that it was an invisible problem and because I have a creative background and works super visually, I thought like, let's create a visible solution for this invisible problem. And then I start digging into like visual symbols of, of air quality. And I thought about, you know, like, ah, oh, maybe we'll do a device that will blink red when you need to do something. But I, it didn't really strike me as super original or super like not like a motivational nut. So I came across the canary in the coal mine and, mm-hmm. and thought like, oh, this is actually something that a lot of people, it's a reference and reference that a lot of people know about. And at the same time, it was something that we could uh, mimic with a motor and a CO2 sensor and make super, like make an actually a powerful analog uh, product out of so basically, that was what happened. We, uh, we, we got that idea and then we started drawing it and we made like a 3D printed prototype. And then we showed it to people and people were just, people were just like, whoa, this is something new. And this is something that I, I actually respond on, not like a blinking uh, lamp or, you know, like a dishwasher saying beep, beep when you're going to sleep. There's so many annoying notches in everyday products that are fighting to get our attention like even just like uh, phone notifications Uh, and it's just overwhelming as a human being to get all these uh, messages during the day so having something analog that is not just saying hey you need to do this 
but also it it's entertaining you and it's targeting your emotions like hey a dead bird hanging on my wall and i have the power to wake it up again just by opening the window i can do that <laughs> so and yeah also the fact that we tried to make an like an aesthetic product uh, and not just like something that looks like a smoke detector i think that's actually a huge part of the innovation because it will make you put it in a position where it's uh, visible. Because if you have a product that looks like a Wi-Fi router, maybe you'll just hide it behind the sofa and you will just ignore it when it tries to signal you something. Yeah. What I love about this is the, I guess the symbolic nature of that the carbon dioxide is a silent killer and your product is a silent notification system, right? It doesn't use the bells, whistles, lights, alerts to get our attention. It's a visual thing to something that is invisible. And I, I really love the tie-in aspect of all of that. Thank you so much. It's a, it's a nice way to put it. Like it's, yeah. A, so, a, a silent killer, yeah. Exactly. A silent product. I like that. What, what I always am interested in, in products like this, because when you think about your customer, right, it could be everybody, right? And I think that's always a difficult task. As you guys were putting this product together, thinking about the manufacturing or thinking about the engineering, right? Like you got your 3D printer. What led you down the path to crowdfunding and then trying to find your target audience initially with that crowdfunding community? That's, that's a really good question. I think we like the reason why we picked crowdfunding was basically out of financial uh, situations. Like we, we weren't able to afford uh, a big production before even selling anything. That would mean that we would have to take a loan in the bank and that's super risky. And yeah, as two young guys, we didn't really save up that. <laughs> we didn't save anything. <laughs> so we didn't have like a big capital we could prove pull from so but the other good thing was that before we start before we would quit our jobs it would be nice to know if there were any potential in this idea and a kickstarter campaign or like any crowdfunding campaign allows you to to see if there is an interest in your product and if this if the the price is is right and like who are you actually as you said like who is your target group so you would you will get all these answers when you do a crowdfunding campaign, and we found that super interesting. So yeah, we went on Kickstarter to yeah to get fi- financial means <laughs> to to start a production and develop the product further, but definitely also to find our target group. And also we didn't we 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 did, it wasn't something that we we planned for, but because it became such a huge success, it also made a really good initiative uh, to contact investors and to actually get a, a reasonable valuation for your company, uh, which is really hard before you sell anything because it's super easy for the investor to say, hey, I'm taking, I'm taking this big risk. Like, who knows if it's going to sell? Then they will <laughs> trick you into to find all these reasons for your valuation being like <laughs> below $100,000 even. So this helped us prove to the investors like, hey, there's a market for it. We even already made uh, the first uh, $400,000. Uh, so 
like you have to pull, like you have to to tell us why you're the right investor. So that power switch that was definitely my Kickstarter. Yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, again, we've had the fortunate experience of seeing dozens of our clients go on Shark Tank after their successful Kickstarter campaign. And sure enough, most of the products that go from crowdfunding to investors are able to seek and get the valuations that they feel deserve, whether that's 10x their raise or something different, proving that this is a safe bet through a pre-sale you know, again, always puts the power back on you to be like, hey, you know, listen, we've already pre-sold these things. Nobody even had a chance to have an experience with it yet, let alone put it yeah. in their house and be able to tell their friends about it. Like, we have a tremendous opportunity yeah. here. Tell us why you're the right partner now, because we've already done this by ourselves. What, what you know, value are you going to bring to the table, right? So, you know, like yeah. you said, you put the power back into your hands and Andreas's hands as founders, you know, to be able to say, this is what it's done in one month of time. We've already raised, you know, nearly half a million dollars in pre-sales. We've got a great company. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk a little bit about some of the prep work that you did for the campaign to put it in a great position for success throughout and now, you know, post crowdfunding where you're still delivering thousands of orders out, you know, to all your customers. What was some of that prep work, if you can remember, and maybe some of the things that, you know, looking back hindsight wise, you might have changed? Yeah. So like none of us had previous experience with doing crowdfunding campaigns, but I had a previous, uh, previous experience uh, from the advertising business and the film production business. So I, I have been at agencies where I've done work for companies like Swatch and Canon cameras and Carlsberg. So I kind of knew like how to, how to deliver stories and yeah, do advertising. So what we did was like, we, we put a lot of energy into the video. Like it was like our main asset and we, we spent, like we spent two months making it. And wow. we contacted one of my good friend, Casper, who uh, has a production company. And in, instead of paying him uh, in advance, we gave him, I think it was between two or 5% of the total campaign uh, goal. Uh, not the campaign goal, but the, but the actual profits from the campaign. We did the same uh, deal with a 3D render uh, uh, guy who helped us make product renders. And that allowed us to, to not spend money on it before we knew uh, if there was actually a business in it. And yep. it also gave them like a better motivation because the better they did their job, the higher uh, the campaign will probably go. Yeah. So I would definitely recommend people to do that because then the people you're working with, they will not count the hours they spend on the product. It will be, they will actually have a real asset uh, in the campaign, which just uh, hires everyone's uh, motivation. So yeah, and you asked what I would have done that's better great, if I knew. Yeah, no, but that's a great nugget for everyone out there too, right? Like if you're short on funding and... There are people that not only believe in the product, but believe in you and the business that you're building. A lot of people will do this on sweat equity, right? They'll be like, okay, yeah, pay me a percentage of what it raises or, you know, what you end up netting. And, you know, again, it's an opportunity to at least have that discussion because we're all bootstrapping it, right? Like you're launching this thing with, with limited funding, friends, family, or whatever's in your savings yeah. to bring this amazing idea to market. 
you want people that are going to be in the same boat rowing in the same direction as you and you exactly. know want to see the success together. So I think that's a great nugget for everybody that's out there. There are alternative ways of finding folks that are willing to do things for percentages of the campaign yeah. raise, not again, like you had said, counting hours and worrying about how much time they spent on exactly. it. You get the best energy and effort and output from folks when they know they are going alongside you to make this thing a success exactly. together. Well, when, they're, when they're fully invested, and, and I think, uh, and I'm not trying to become to to uh, <laughs> I hope I don't gonna sound like an uh, Don Draper guy, but it's hard to put a price uh, on people who are that invested because you're not putting a price on it. The price is gonna tell after everyone put that job in, uh, yeah. and yeah, that's a beautiful thing about it. What I think was also unique about this kind of your your local community as well, looking at the community side of crowdfunding. Copenhagen was certainly the top city where you guys are from, but we didn't actually have, I think this is probably one of the first campaigns I've never seen with a U.S. city as one of the top cities as a backer. But certainly United States was the top country, but you had backers coming from all over Europe and all over the world coming into this, which was really unique with, you know, an average about a third of the backers, you know, still coming from, you know, being brand new backers, which is always great, right? Bringing more people yeah. into crowdfunding and understanding how new innovations and ideas are getting launched and funding them and going through that process. But it looks like you had a great community that was ready to go, not only within your local community, but Europe, if you will, as being a, a greater community. Any tips or tricks or things that you guys did that was unique to kind of activate uh, European crowdfunders coming in and supporting you guys? Yeah, I think one of the things we did was like, I reached out to a lot of design uh, magazines and Instagram accounts mm -hmm. uh, because that were our category. So I think that helped spread the word uh, in terms of PR. What we also did was we held like a launch party, uh, a physical launch party. It was, even though it was in the middle of uh, Corona, Mm -hmm. uh, in the US, I think we just got out of it. Like we had a little window where people could have physical gatherings and we throw the party uh, for all our friends and families and their friends. We said to everyone, hey, invite your friend. And then we paid for the first hundred beers or whatever. And we had a friend DJing and we, we showed the product and we made a speech. And, and actually, I think what it did was that it gathered a hundred people. A lot of them backed our product. A lot of them went to different events uh, and talked with friends about a product. And then I think it actually spread the, the word in a way that you don't see uh, digitally. Um, yep. A lot of them, they posted pictures and they would share it. And like they, they somehow they felt more invested in our mission and wanted to help us because they saw it live. Uh, and we had, we had a bit of hesitations before doing the event because we thought like, Ah, uh, how embarrassing would it be if we do this party and then we'll just see on the screen like, oh, zero dollars collected. Like this is, ah, uh, this is a major crisis. But but we, yeah, you have to go for it. You have to go all in, and that was that was what we did. I think that's really good because again, you're taking an offline action, having beers, being able to talk, show people the product. It exists. It's real. We're real. It's coming to market. And then again, I think that one of the things that a lot of people miss is just the value of a share. 
sharing it on your social platforms. That can bring in more money than just going and backing and supporting it at a $5 level and just giving the high five or you know the $1 pledge of support to follow along with the updates. If you can't afford the product, the social share itself brings in money. So I yeah. don't think enough people activate that within their crowd or their local community to just be like, hey, just no, share exactly. it. That's all we need. Yeah, and also, yeah, and that's, I think there's a big difference between like, uh, uh, what do you say, like uh, just like a regular person sharing it on their personal page compared to a professional crowdfunding magazine sharing it on their page because Facebook algorithms they they can definitely track like oh this is a commercial activity will lower the the reach yep. uh, otherwise you'll have to pay for it so so activating normal people uh, with organic reaches that could actually go up to a couple of thousand of people that has actually has a big value yeah talk to me about some of that experience with your backers during the campaign and post crowdfunding campaign how did that go how did you guys manage all of that and did you get any insights from them to sh- shift maybe what version 2.0 looks like uh, or come again like how they how we used our community to develop the product or or just managing any of their feedback that they had during the campaign or after the campaign once they got yeah. there. so I mean, luckily, a lot of people were just like, this is it. We love it. <laughs> Don't do anything. And thanks for not uh, doing an app <laughs> with it. <laughs> thanks for keeping it yeah. so simple and dumped down. But uh, one thing we did, though, was we changed the, the charging port from uh, mini USB to USB-C because a lot of people say like, hey, just make it future-proof and yeah. go USB-C already. And we were like, yeah. That's an obvious one. Why, why didn't we think of that? Yep. So small things like that. And some people mentioned like, hey, it would be cool if we could change the color. And we still haven't done that because we, we, we really want to keep it yellow because it has the symbolic uh, value. Yep. But we actually, we made the, the construction in a way. So we are actually allowed to change the bird uh, super easy. Yep. And this allows us to do different colors or a collab. Or if if this fragile bird will break, we can uh, we can actually swap it out, and that's also good in terms of sustainability. Uh, so, and that was also because of the community. So, so yeah, amazing. So, with all of the things that went through the campaign and your tremendous success that you guys are having now. What's what's a tip for all of the other creators that are out there? I mean, you guys raised over 3.2 million Danish crones, right? With this crowdfunding campaign. What's something that you would recommend to our listeners or people that just need a kick in the butt to kind of get their idea off the ground? Yeah, I would say do the do do the Kickstarter film when your product is 80% finished. I think a lot of people uh, go wrong with like developing the product forever and ever mm-hmm. because it, you like you you'll never there'll never be a natural uh, stop. Uh, you, you eventually you will have to to put it out in public and see how people receive it. And the quicker you do it, the quicker you can implement uh, and update small things. So. Don't be afraid to put it out there and 
yeah, I, we also did an Instagram, I think half a year before the Kickstarter. So it was kind of public. Uh, we're just sharing it with friends and testing ads, like pre-campaigning. So yeah, the biggest advice would just be to, uh, yeah, publish it before it's ready. When it's 80% done, then it's, uh, it's ready for, for the public, I would say. Amazing. Well, Hans, this is going to get us into our launch round where I'm going to rapid fire a handful of questions at you. You good to go? So, uh, yeah, I'm ready. Let's do this. All right. So what inspired you to be an entrepreneur? Uh, definitely not. Oh, shit. I have to be quick. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry for sharing. So um, I would say creative freedom and the possibility to make something that doesn't exist yet. Amazing. So if you could have coffee with any entrepreneur throughout history, who would it be? I'm going to say uh, the guy who invented the iPod. Uh, not sure it is, but I'm, I know that Steve Jobs also was a part of it. Uh, yeah, I would say it's Steve Jobs. Yeah, it's an yeah. easy one, actually. I think it was this guy, right? Tony Fidel with Build. Oh, that's right. That's right. I, I, was right. I think it was a web summit also. I haven't read it yet. All right. So let's say it was uh, Tony. What would be your first question for Tony? Let's say Tony. Uh, probably some of the questions that you asked me today, but um, maybe uh, I'm super not prepared for that, but, but that's, the, that's kind of part of it. Maybe like how to resist on, on making new features. Like where, where do you draw the line? Like that's enough features. The, the next features will be in 2.0 version. That, that would be a question I would ask. Nice. Where, where do you yeah. pull the line? Feedback, always good. What, um, what advice would you give to a new inventor who's looking to launch their product? Test it on people that you don't know and listen to their own honest answers. And I made a lot of projects in the past, creative projects, uh, not like super business, uh, but also just like films or funny ideas. Uh, and I always shared them on Instagram and Facebook. And when I shared Canary, I could just see like people, like 30 of my friends shared it to their friends. And so I think that the, the more you are open about your ideas, the better you are to, to actually compare them and see how good of an idea it is. Because I could definitely feel, whoa, people has an exceptional love for this project. That has to mean something. You dropped a so, great yeah, share it. Yeah, that was a great nugget in the beginning is talk to people that aren't your friends and family, right? Because they're maybe not even your customer, right? So getting critical feedback from people that you don't have a relationship with, solid nugget there. What, um, what, are, the top, be what are the top three skills that you think every entrepreneur needs to be successful? Uh, to be to to not be a perfectionist because it's it's never going to get perfect. There's always going to be some problem with the production line or the sales not going perfectly or investors not coming through or financial crisis. Like there's so many things that's out of your control. So I think the ability to to be okay with not having control all the time is probably the greatest skill you can have and to, yeah, to, to be able to pull out of it and say like, Oh, it's five o'clock. Now I have to do something else and I will uh, go back to the ship to, tomorrow morning. 
um, because otherwise you, you're going to burn out. I think that's that's the most important skill. Amazing. Where do you see yourself in three years? I see myself uh, with financial freedom and the opportunity to to do any creative project that I really want and not having to think about uh, the bills. But uh, I mean, I think we'll have to say 10 years <laughs> before that's realistic. But um, no, I, I think where I'm at now uh, is I'm super grateful where, for where I'm at now. Uh, running a business with my best friend and we can actually pay ourselves salaries. Our girlfriends haven't left us yet. So uh, <laughs> what more can you ask for? I think that's a pretty sweet place to be. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Last question, Hans, in the rapid fire round. And again, you've run such a successful campaign. I'm really interested to hear your take on what does the future of crowdfunding look like? I think equity crowdfunding is, is interesting. Uh, I haven't looked too much into it, but I think just like more smooth framework. Uh, I remember like when we did Kickstarter, we needed like you need a new uh, company to collect all the addresses. I can't even remember the name for it, but but you know, there's so many steps in the administration of yep. it. And it's kind of a jungle when you do it the first time. So maybe like a more tight framework within the platforms, whether it's Kickstarter, Indiegogo or whatever, like just like a total solution because there's so many third parties and they're super helpful. Uh, but yeah, the more, the more easy it would be to find the, the right partners that that would be a nice uh, update for the crowdfunding community, I think. Amazing. Um, I agree. Hopefully it's coming soon. We shall see. Yeah, I guess, I guess if, if, if NTs have, have something uh, in the pipeline. We'll find out soon. You can say more. <laughs> well, Hans, this has been amazing. This is your opportunity to give our audience your pitch, tell people what you're all about, where they should go, and why they should go buy a canary. Yeah. So I think uh, unlike many other gadgets and, and products these days, our products actually give you an opportunity to improve your indoor air quality and thereby your health, which is, uh, yeah, pretty fundamental. So if I were you, I would buy an aesthetic indoor air quality monitor like our canary. And the good thing is that uh, we have a coupon. So you can go to our website and order a canary. Anywhere you live, we have free shipping worldwide. Just use the code ROY25, uh, R-O-Y-2-5. <laughs> uh, then you're going to get 25% discount. And uh, the code is going to last a month. So uh, don't, uh, don't be hesitant. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Hans, thank you so much for offering to coupon and discount this product for our amazing audience out course, there. Make sure you go check out Canary and the product itself. Obviously, thanks again for tuning in to Art of the Kickstart. Go to the website for the notes, the transcript, links to their website and the Kickstarter campaign and everything we talked about today. And of course, a big shout out to our crowdfunding podcast sponsor over at Product Hype, the top newsletter for new products that just launched. Hans, thank you so much for joining us today on Art of the Kickstart. A pleasure to uh, to join you, Roy. It's it's been fun, and uh, yeah, have a good uh, good day. Or in the US, we we had a couple of hours ahead, so uh, I'll uh, I'll go to dinner. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you, sir. 
Thank you for tuning into another amazing episode of Art of the Kickstart, the show about building a better business, life, and world with crowdfunding. If you've enjoyed today's episode as much as I did, make sure to show us some love, you know, by rating us and reviewing us on your favorite listening station, whatever that may be. Your review really helps other founders and startups find us so they can improve their craft and achieve greater success like you. And of course, be sure to visit artofthekickstart.com for all the previous episodes. And if you need any help, make sure to send me an email at info at I'd be glad to help you out. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll see you next week.